Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's October the 13th, 2021 in Northern California in San Francisco, where I live. Uh, one of my favorite shows uh, of the last year, and we're at our 500th show already, so this, so this one particularly stands out, at least in my mind, is my interview of the uh, ex-economist journalist Edmund Fawcett. Uh, he has a, a wonderful couple of books, uh, one on conservatism and one on liberalism, and he has this tremendous quote in the book about this ongoing fight between liberals and conservatives over the last 250 years in modernity. He says, or he writes, well, politics, chess, liberals had white, they moved first, conservatives had black, they countered liberalism's opening moves. In time, the initiative changed hands. Conservatives, who began as anti-moderns, came to master modernity. For the right was in telling ways the stronger contestant. I guess what um, what Edmund Fawcett is suggesting is that the right or conservatives are very good chess players. And one of the leading chess players, um, or at least one of the leading conservatives uh, of our age, who perhaps might be defining and redefining conservatism in its fight with liberalism, is also an excellent chess player. His name is Peter Thiel. He's very well known in Northern California and he's increasingly becoming a brand, I guess, around the world. Here we have an image of him for people listening and not able to see, an image of him making a rare public appearance at a chess tournament. Um, he's a very good chess player. When he was at Stanford University, he used to play blind. And in fact, the one way that the people who didn't like him at Stanford, and I think most people didn't like him, was to suggest that he, he'd take a shot or a glass of beer, a drink of beer every time he took a move, which was the only way to relax the poor guy. He was always very uptight. Uh, according to Inc. magazine, um, Teal used his chess mastery to become uh, a billionaire. Uh, and there's one other uh, wonderful uh, image of uh, Teal being... Uh, uh, it's all a game for Teal, another headline suggests. Uh, this is a show not about chess, but about Peter Teal. There's a new biography out, The Contrarian, Peter Teal and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. And I'm thrilled that uh, Max is joining me today. Uh, Max, how important is chess playing when it comes to making sense of this uh character Peter Thiel. He's almost uh, too fictional to be real, but of course he is all too real. Yeah. And I love the, first of all, thanks for having me. And I love the the introduction. The, the chess thing is, a, you know, I think as you suggest, um, a hugely important uh, part of who Peter Thiel is and a, and, a, and a helpful way to understand how he's moved through the world and how he's you know, become influential and powerful, uh, you know, both in terms of tech and in terms of politics. Um, Teal, I think, and, you know, I argue in the book, is kind of one of the defining characters um, in Silicon Valley over the last 25 years. I mean, there, there are, of course, other 
um, stories you could tell, and, and people have told those stories, right, where with like Jeff Bezos is kind of um, somebody who helped create um, the tech industry as it exists, or, or Steve Jobs, or Elon Musk. Um, Teal is interesting, I think, because, first of all, because he's kind of a behind the scenes player. So he's somebody who's had a lot of um, influence as a as an investor primarily, although he has started some companies. He's a, he's the co-founder of PayPal, uh, founder of, of Palantir. Um, but but most of his in, influence has been behind the scenes. Um, but that said, he's sort of been everywhere, and and many of the um, <clears throat> most successful you know companies of over the past. Um, couple of decades have Teal behind them in one way or the other, or somebody who is a kind of a close ally of Teal, member of his inner circle, which you know people talk about as the, the quote unquote PayPal mafia. And I think that would all be very interesting, maybe enough to justify a book about tech power, just because of course the companies Teal has been involved with, um, you know, the most prominent example being Facebook, where he was the first outside investor and the longest serving um, board member who's not named Mark Zuckerberg. Those are really powerful companies and his influence on them has been really important. But of course there's this other dynamic, which you alluded to in the introduction, which is that Teal is also an important political figure. He's somebody who um, has always engaged politically, but really starting in 2016 with um, the, the Donald Trump campaign and, and Teal's support of Donald Trump really stepped um, into the forefront in, in a much bigger way where he became, you know, as I argue in the book, you know, a crucial supporter of Trump, a, you know, a member of Trump's um, inner circle. And I think that was important. I mean, that was important. I think interesting because there's sort of a, some inherent contradictions in the idea of a venture capitalist, somebody who's big, you know, spent his entire career obsessed with the future, um, supporting a candidacy that is kind of at its core uh, reactionary. So, like, so there's something interesting there. Like, why would a, an immigrant, a gay immigrant venture capitalist with two Stanford degrees, support, you know, somebody who basically runs as a, a you know, wears his crassness on his sleeve, who is you know, virulently anti-immigrant who's from a party that has been historically hostile to the interests of gays and lesbians. So, so like those contrasts, those contradictions are interesting, but I also think in a way Teal was sort of ahead of the curve because of course, Silicon Valley as a whole has been engaging more politically um, in recent years. So it's almost as if he was early there as well. Um, but, but to me, it's like this guy who helped create Silicon Valley as it exists today, who is also um, kind of trying to pull some of the same um, tricks or whatever, if you will, you know, on the American political system. You know, he's already taken over the tech industry to some extent. He's trying to do the same in American politics. And to to me, um, you know, that's what made him really interesting. Yeah, and the the subtitle of the book, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. The key word there, of course, is power. Uh, and certainly, uh, chess is a game of power. It's a game of winning. It's a game of destroying the opponent. Um, Peter Thiel. I guess the person he's been most compared with or most described with in, in, as an adjective is Machiavellian, although I'm not sure that does a great deal of justice to Machiavelli, who I think probably wouldn't be very keen on Teal. There's an interesting headline um, from the review of your book, and your book um, is really good, uh, uh, Max. Congratulations, uh, both for having the nerve to take on Peter Teal and for writing such a coherent narrative. Uh, the 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 New York Times says that you or the book at least goes searching for Peter Thiel's elusive core, and the reviewer Jennifer Sly says um, I was struck by how much of reading from the book I was struck by how much Thiel remains a mystery, less of an intriguing enigma than a hollow cipher. I think uh, she's actually wrong, and I think that's uh, 
you know, a very convenient liberal take on 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 uh, on Teal that he's a he's an empty cipher that there's nothing to him. In your mind, what is Teal's core? Yeah. What summarizes him uh, aside from the the chess playing? Well, I I mean, I thought I think this review. Uh, the review in the times is pretty insightful and i and i and it was a, it was I, a positive I, review I, i'm not yeah, suggesting yeah. it was a, a negative well, review but so, I, I think she's wrong to suggest that there isn't a core to teal or maybe if there is the, the core of teal is that there isn't a core yeah well i no i think there is i think there is a core i think and 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 i want to do my best to put my finger on it um I also think what she's reacting to and what she's talking about is something that's kind of real and that I talk about in the book. And 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 I do think that there are Teal has a lot of fans and followers. And and I think and part of what drew me to this um this subject is that there's there's a mythology around Peter Teal, right? And the mythology is um there are actually two mythologies, a positive one and a negative one. And the positive one, which I think um, you know, has purchase in Silicon Valley, even many people who, you know, are very critical of Teal, very critical of kind of Trumpist politics, I think on some level buy this, which is that Teal is basically this great intellectual builder. He's like some combination of like Ayn Rand and a character from Ayn Rand, like an Ayn Rand book, where where he's both doing this, you know, this amazing thing, this capitalist, this heroic capitalist act overturning the system. And he's also um, giving us this uh, philosophy uh, behind it. Um, and of course, there's the there's the negative myth, which says Peter Thiel is a, a right wing vampire who's just like slurping up our data and uh, giving, you know, funneling it to yeah, Donald he Trump. He wanted out of a James Bond movie or at least right. a James Bond movie uh, made by liberals. So I'm really I mean, first of all, like when 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 you have narratives like that, I mean, like to me as a writer, as a journalist, like that is very interesting. Right. Because it gives you room. First of all, it gives you room to tell a human story because because neither of those. Um, myths really includes uh, Peter Thiel, the person. And of course, both of those myths have flaws. And I think fl those flaws, you know, create opportunities for journalists like myself to to kind of explain them and look critically at them. Um, but they also, of course, contain some truth. And and so so I think that's all very important. I think um, <clears throat> Thiel's philosophy at its core is basically power. And I mean, and mm. and, and so it, is that a core? I, you know, m maybe it is. Um, but I think I think what what the the Times reviewer was reacting to is you know maybe that's unsatisfying as a as a as a life philosophy maybe that's not a value uh, that 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 the, the reviewer or you know I think a lot of people would 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 take issue with that that um, that you know that that as a value system I, I um, think that what Teal believes like the sort of core of his belief is that the future needs to happen more quickly. And the, you know he's very very interested in the future, very interested in new technology. And his view is that to allow that to happen quickly, we need to give um, uh, we need to give this very small class of people a, a maximal amount of power. And that class is the founders of technology companies, tech billionaires, basically. And and so so and 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 that's like you you can see that through a lot of what Teal's done. You know, Founders Fund, his venture capital fund, is all about this idea that founders are sort of a privileged class um, that they should be able to uh, control their companies no matter what. I mean, we've seen, of course, Teal has kind of pioneered this this structure in terms of how you know many tech companies are structured where you know they're they're these super voting shares so that mark zuckerberg um 
you know, is is basically the absolute dictator of Facebook. He can. So, he, say, so what you're saying, Max, is that yeah. when you peel it all away, um, teal, what you call tealism, is uh, a conservative or a right wing kind of technocracy. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that it's I think it, that that idea has been exceedingly influential, you know, not just on the right. So, so Teal, I mean, you kind of have to un, uh, sort of uh, break Teal's influence over the tech industry away from some of the political stuff, which I'm sure we can talk about. Because Teal, in addition to having these kind of, you know, really tech-centric views, this kind of techno-utopianism or, or whatever, um, also has right-wing political views that we should talk about. But I think that that view is basically, has basically become the mainstream view um, not just in Silicon Valley, but in, 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 you know, large parts of the American public where, where we've kind of, and you, you kind of see it in, um, in the discourse, of course, there's some backlash now, right? But, but, but this idea that, um, that tech companies should achieve, you know, massive network dominance, they should grow super big, super quickly, they should approach monopoly or even achieve monopoly if possible, you know, and Teal wrote a whole book. Right, and he wrote um, a whole book, Zero to One, which, um, unashamedly laid this out. Although I always yeah. thought that in that book, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of, of his embrace of monopolies in that book. But he's right to suggest that any entrepreneur naturally wants to become a monopolist. That's the goal of business. They want to dominate their market. There's nothing actually wrong with saying that. Well, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying it. And I think it's, it's probably like a super helpful, you know, business philosophy, right? Like, I, I think, you know, there, there's a reason zero to one has taken off and, and, and because it gets at, at a truth, um, not just about capitalism, right? It's, it's almost, th th there's a sense, I think, in which Teal was sort of saying the quiet part out loud, saying the thing that every, you know, Davos attendee secretly believes, but like is afraid to say, because like, you know, we as capitalists tech believe in competition. Um, but I also think he's saying something insightful about networks, right? Where these internet businesses are almost, you know, especially um, good as monopolies, right? Where they, and, and to, to some extent, maybe only work as monopolies or work way better as monopolies. Um, there's a second part of zero to one, which is that I think is equally important, which is kind of the cult of disruption. This idea that the existing order is bad and needs to be overturned. And the way we overturn it is by basically breaking the rules, you know, doing um, by, 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 by being willing to deviate from what is the kind of, you yeah, know, the the, as, as his, uh, as his, um, Friend Mark Zuckerberg famously said, "Move fast and break things." Yeah, hundred percent. And and I think both of those things. Um, you, you know, you're right to kind of defend them because I think both. Well, of those... I am the last person to defend uh, <laughs> Peter Thiel, but I, I'm defending his suggestion that it's inevitable and natural for an entrepreneur to want to become a monopolist. It doesn't well, make monopolies good. It's just the reality of business. Yeah, I mean, and I think there are a couple problems with this kind of this part of Teal's worldview. Um, uh, one of which is it kind of treats um, disruption, breaking the rules, uh, in, in, including you know breaking the law potentially, not just as something that that companies might maybe need to do on the way to achieving greatness, but almost as a good in itself, where where companies that are willing to break the rules are better than companies that don't. And I think we've seen that kind of play out in kind of like the corporate culture of like a company like Uber, right? Where it treats rule breaking as an end almost in itself, um, not as not as like an unfortunate consequence. I also think that this kind of 
you know, um, business and, and tech business as kind of imperial capitalism, you know, the Facebook way. Um, while it's probably like super useful advice for a startup in its early years, and I think we can all kind of, um, I think we, we, we generally are sort of okay with the idea of entrepreneurs maybe not dotting, you know, not dotting every I and crossing every T when they're small companies. It becomes super problematic, I think, when the companies are enormous. When when all of a sudden it's not a it's not a little startup, it's a company with three billion. Right. And, and, and I think that that's yeah. that's one of the things that I found very interesting, not only about the contrarian your book, Max, but about some of the other stuff you've been writing. I was really struck by a piece you wrote. New York Magazine's uh, intelligence are about um, about uh, Teal. You talk to Mike Moritz, who's probably the most influential venture capitalist in Silicon Valley and actually a political liberal. Um, and, and, and Moritz told you, and this is really interesting. You say, you, you're quote, I'm quoting, he said, at heart, Moritz told me, Peter is a hedge fund man, not an entrepreneur. And and you'd be making this point, and it, and it, and it's a really interesting one, in that Teal wants to essentially have his entrepreneurial cake and eat it, in the sense that he wants all the upside of being an entrepreneur, but he's not really a gambler, as you say uh, in in the first example uh, in the book of his experience at PayPal. Um, he tried to convince uh, Moritz to allow Teal to take the money and invest it, the money that, that was invested in, in PayPal um, as a kind of hedge fund. Um, so, so what you're saying is that, and what you say about Teal and, and increasingly about Silicon Valley is that the, the entrepreneurialism is a myth. The risk-taking is a myth. Um, and uh, this is what's particularly eerie uh, i'm quoting you from your intelligence piece 20 years later this is after the the paypal incident and the incident with um with moritz tealism is the dominant ethos in silicon valley um that's partly because teal has been effective at seeding the industry with proteges none of them more prominent than mark zuckerberg uh, facebook is of course essentially a social media monopolist and they still are articulating themselves as a startup uh, in entrepreneurial language, but that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I can. It's useful, I suppose, for them. And I mean, you know, Bezos, of course, has done some similar things. Bezos you know, has the, done exactly the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, always day one or whatever. But uh, I, I think, I mean, first of all, I, you know, no disrespect to hedge fund managers. I think, and I think the fact that Peter Thiel, you know, has you know, found ways to hedge is in some ways like to his credit as an investor. And, and it's probably, oh, yeah. I mean, he's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there's, no one's doubting his own business acumen, but we're right. just trying to make sense of what he's doing as this new model of conservatism in this ongoing chess game. A hundred percent. And I, I do think that the myth of Teal is a myth that is largely created and created by Teal. He's somebody who is um, of course, you know, he's a good investor and everything, but he's also a very good marketer and, and particularly like a self-marketer, somebody who has um, very carefully and meticulously through, um, you know, his, his influence and and through, you know, various media things he's done. Of course, he's, you know, famously sued Gawker, but, but you know, he's cultivated parts of the media um, for years, has has created this. Um, this this view of him as this kind of you know tech builder and of course there's truth in it but but uh, but it's not 100 percent true and and when you read the kind of like 
founders fund manifesto you know the you know we we were promised flying cars and um you know instead uh we got 140 characters that's like one of his big uh, marketing slogans it's been hugely influential in silicon valley it's i think changed a lot of the discourse in silicon valley um you know the, his actual investments don't always live up to that right i mean he's he's famous for investing in a social network it's not twitter uh but but it's it's a you know another yeah, and social he, and, he, and he got the deal because uh, his friend reed hoffman couldn't invest because he was the founder of linkedin but yeah still, he put yeah. the money in i don't think we can uh, i i don't think we can quibble on on his own insights into the market even sure. if um he, he hasn't always sold at the top and, and um uh, sorry uh, bought it uh, sold at the top and bought at the bottom i thought um max one of the most intelligent reviews of your book uh he's been on the show before he's a i'm a big fan of his work as a podcaster and as a writer uh was by david runciman professor of politics at cambridge university in the london review of books he picks on this idea of uh, Teal as an intentional monopolist. The title of his review in, in the LRB is Competition is for Losers. And um, Russman has this argument that what's happening is that free market capitalism is in fact becoming more and more closely aligned to state capitalism. Yeah. And that essentially what Teal is in the business of, and this is particularly true with his startup Palantir, is seizing control of the state. Do you think that Runciman's onto something here? I mean, he's, he's yeah. reviewing your book, so he's taking 100%. the wisdom of your work. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree with him. I think that's a very insightful point, and I think it's one that is um, both true and I, I suspect something that Teal has done somewhat intentionally. You know, it's not like, it's not like this happened um, by accident. I, I mean, it's I, Leninist, I and... and, and, and Lenin, of course, was a, a brilliant um, a brilliant student of power, like Thiel. Uh, and Lenin famously gave up chess uh, in Zurich when he was studying, if you like, to overthrow uh, czarism. He gave up chess because he thought it was a bit of a waste of time and interfering with his uh, with his political uh, work. So Lenin and Thiel share an interest in chess. Well, well and I think you know. Teal is kind of, I, I would argue, is kind of like brilliant at using, at kind of combining politics and business, right? And that's, I think, I think the thing that Runciman is pointing to is a result of that. Um, you know, while I was, uh, I was working on this book, I was reading uh, Coke Land, which is like a, a, a book about Coke industries. And I think that there are real, like real parallels between kind of what Coke is. Those industries. are the brothers, not, 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 not the, um, uh, not the soda. Yeah. So not Coke, the soda or the stuff you find in the ground, the, 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 the Coke brothers, C-O-C-A, a K-O-C-H. Right. And, and what's so interesting about that. So that, that company is enormous, but people haven't heard of it kind of as a similar kind of behind the scenes thing to Teal where like, it's, I think it's, you know, it's one of the largest company had been anyway, one of the largest companies in America, but because it was private, it's not well known. Um, the Cokes, were had basically this business project, this industrial conglomerate, and they had a political project, which was this um, effort, successful effort, uh, to push the Republican Party towards basically, you know, free market capitalism, libertarianism, um, it kind of like uh, real, not not teal libertarianism, but kind of more conventional um, libertarian stuff. And 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 you had this uh, sort of this business that's throwing off huge amounts of cash. It's um, seeding a political project that's designed to keep. Um, 
uh, the taxes on 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 these Coke Industries companies low uh, to 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 deregulate the industry. You know, they're mostly involved in these in fracking and the, you know these like energy businesses. Keep the energy industry as deregulated as possible, and that political project um, then helps the business. And I think Teal's kind of done the same thing, but it's with uh, a post-industrial conglomerate, and and it's and it's like so you have Teal's companies. Um, generating huge sums of money uh, for Peter Thiel, and he is at the same time, you know, doing this kind of political advocacy. And the political advocacy is aimed, you know, for the most part, to make the world nicer for for his tech companies. And so you get the same kind of cycle. It's just, and it ends up instead of trying to take over, you know, the Republican Party, instead of trying to like take over the Reagan Party, which is what the Kochs kind of did. Um, it's 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 Trump's Republican Party. It's it's the party of Trump or the Trumpist um, piece of the Republican Party that he's is really. Is there a Max? Is there a chink in Teal's armor? Uh, you you talk about um, his family, uh, highly religious background. My sense with Teal is to play chess against him, to beat him. You've got to find a chink in the armor. You've got to find a weakness, and I wonder whether the weakness is the way in which he seems to have channeled his innate religiosity. There's something deeply religious about him, even if it's in a peculiarly secular way, into fetishizing the Lord of the Rings and, and lots of kinds of science fiction. He even named his, his company Palantir Technologies after a stone from Lord of the Rings. Is that the intellectual chink in his armor? Is that the way to play chess against Teal to understand that he isn't quite as Machiavellian as he'd like to think he is. Well, I think. Well, I think there are a couple of, uh, I guess, potential uh, intellectual vulnerabilities. I mean, I do think the the his religion is is one of them. Um, he's never really explained, you know, what kind of Christian he is, or you know, it's 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 not entirely clear. He's sort of well, used... he's a Lord of the Rings Christian. He believes right, in the future, right? He's sort of used Christianity to like win debates and to make debating points, but he's never articulated a, 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 like a clear explanation. Of well, his, his... his religion is the future. Right. Okay. And then the other, I would say like the other real vulnerability, and you can see this, you know, in the book, uh, you know, when you're going through the story of his life is, is his own, is this kind of wall he's built up around himself, right? It's, it's a construct and it's, um, and and while it's pretty formidable and there you know he's lots of followers and this kind of you know cult like thing and you know in, in in parts of the tech industry and the conservative kind of young conservative world um when there's a little uh crack in it, it he gets very easily rattled so like there's an there's a, a an account in the book that I, I don't think i've talked about yet but if people have read it will know but but like which is that he you know the one time i could find that he lost a chess game in high school was when he had he just wasn't paying attention right he's sort of playing a little uh a little chess like you know for fun in between games at a tournament and he gets beat almost accidentally and like for the rest of the day he was just off of his game completely right he lost all the rest of the games at the chess tournament because he couldn't accept that this inferior chess player you know beat him he couldn't accept that you know this his his conception of himself i think while it's very um, impressive and while it works, it's very effective when it's working, it's a little bit fragile. And when people have poked at that. Yeah, um, you're being polite, it, Max. I'm sure there's a better word than fragile. Yeah, well, I mean, no, I'm, I'm trying... I, I would say, and this is two words, profoundly insecure. But that's yeah. my experience. I've met the guy a couple of times. He always struck me as someone 
incredibly uncomfortable in his own skin. My wife went both to undergraduate and law school with me, and, and she says the same thing. And everyone at Stanford saw the same thing. You write about it in your book. Yeah, well, and and the thing is, you know, the Gawker thing, right, is kind of an expression, right? That, exactly. Right, where you know, I, I mean, obviously, I think we can we can all sort of agree that you know that the Gawker post that, or many people, I think, would agree um, uh, that the Gawker post that you know said that he was gay when he wasn't out publicly was like unacceptable journalistically, um, uh, and and we can, I think, it's it's easy to understand why it would have sent him into into a funk as it did. Um, but I think that the this you know uh, decade long campaign not just to um, not just to right that wrong but really to grind Gawker into the ground and and then to make a big show of it um, you know kind of speaks to 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 some of that that sense that you know he's really working hard to protect this yeah and I, I mean the thing with the Gawker thing to me and I'm not everyone listening or watching knows that Teal put the website Gawker out of business intentionally spent a lot of money on it because they uh, initially outed him as a homosexual. Uh, it just is, the whole thing is kind of sad. Let's end, Max. Let's go back to uh, my old friend Edmund Fawcett and his argument that if politics were chess, liberals had white and they moved first and that politics is an ongoing chess game between conservatives and liberals. Given your argument and 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 um, David Runciman's argument that the business of conservatism now is dressing up free enterprise to seize the state, and of course Trump is doing this quite literally yeah. uh, in January the sixth. Uh, that Leninism has come to the right. What should progressives do in this chess game? We had uh, Alec Ross on. Uh, sorry, we had uh, Alec Ross. A um, smart-thinking uh, progressive on on the show recently he has a new book out suggesting that we need to tax and regulate companies much more aggressively. Is that the way that progressives need to play the chess game against teal and tealism? Well, you know, I'm not a political strategist, so I feel like anything I say here, you know, a well, you're not a great... political strategist, but you, 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 you've <laughs> yeah. seen, you've, you've got into Teal's mind as and well I as have... anyone, so you understand the mind of this highly have... innovative and influential uh, conservative. Yeah, and I definitely have thoughts here. So, so one is I agree that um, the these tech companies need to be scrutinized. Now, I don't know, you know, I, I, there are smarter people than me who are working on sort of antitrust and and like what, you know, because because they're because in many cases they are so entrenched and the changes that have happened are so entrenched is not entirely clear, at least not entirely clear to me how one would go about sort of untangling um, our lives like from Mark Zuckerberg's, you know, um, empire. But I do think that like we need to be honest with ourselves about the ideology of these companies and, and kind of like, you know, like if you didn't have, if, if Facebook were not, if Facebook just had 3 billion users um, and was run by this uh, mercurial executive and, um, and was, you know, from time to time, like getting us into trouble or whatever, uh, you know, you know, having a little Russian interference here, uh, an insurrection there, that would be really upsetting, of course, but it's, it's kind of worse than that because Facebook not only has all that, but it's it's basically decided, and Mark Zuckerberg has decided, and the people who are defending um, Facebook has decided that 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 all this is like kind of a good thing, and that and that we shouldn't do anything about it. Facebook, you know, and I think that that 
ideology is dangerous and 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 probably needs to be confronted. Now, I don't again, I don't know the best way to confront it. And but but I think it does need to be confronted. And then there's a second thing, which is I think we need to take more seriously the rise of this um, hyper aggressive uh, far right, which is something that Teal has promoted and it's mm -hmm. part of his life's work. And it includes um, it includes the insurrection, you know, the, the, the failed insurrection um, and, and kind of the intellectual um, groundwork. I think Teal um, and, and basically people that he's been supporting, including people like um, Curtis Yarvin, uh, you know, better known as um, uh, Moldbug, uh, uh, Michael Anton, the, the author of the Flight 93, uh, you know, Case for Trumpism's Flight 93 essay. Um, these guys and, and, you know, Tucker Carlson now is picked up on this. This this philosophy um, this, this neo-reactionary philosophy, which, which basically says, you know, we would be better if we were run by like a tech king or something. Um, and, and that, and we should cast aside democracy. It, it is a very, to me, as somebody who believes in democracy and believes in the constitution, it is like a very chilling, um, philosophy. And I think it's one that, um, people have not really taken seriously, but it, I think it's worth taking seriously. And I, I say that partly because I think, there are parts of it that are are just on their on their face um, scary, but also because I spent a lot of time um, studying Teal, and Teal tends to be ahead on these things. You know, he was ahead. You know, he's not, he doesn't always get it right, right? But 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 he has he has been uh, you know bullish on this kind of kind of ultra uh, you know neo reactionary thinking uh, going back ten years. And and I think that this these ideas are gaining purchase, and he is helping them gain purchase, and he is taking them very seriously. So if you oppose them, if you think that you know obviously like the January sixth insurrection wasn't such a good thing, I think it it behooves people to take those ideas seriously. Yeah, to put it mildly, Max. Um, well, yeah. Your, your new book, The Contrarian: Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power, does a an excellent job catching up with Teal. You say he's ahead of us. He is, but he's not ahead of you. And uh, and I want to congratulate you on the book, on your bravery and confronting him. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a risky undertaking, as you say in the book. Uh, Teal loves to destroy people, and it'll be interesting to see how he responds to the book. Where are you talking to me from, Max? Don't give me the address because Peter Teal's uh, people might be banging on your doors. But approximately, where are you? <laughs> I'm in uh, Queens, New York. Uh, good. Well, I... uh, that's a good general address. Uh, Max, <laughs> uh, in addition to your new book, The Contrarian, what else should people be reading in these strange, chilling times? Um, well, I'm, you know, really interested in in all the, in a lot of a lot of writers who are writing about this topic, um, both in terms of the in terms of studies of companies. So, you know, the, 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 the book about Facebook that came out. Uh, yeah, we had uh, Shira Franco, we had her on the show. Yeah, you know, my colleague, uh, Brad Stone's book. Yeah, about Brad's Amazon. been on the show a couple of times talking about all his uh, Amazon books. So I think that's, I think all that stuff, I, like I said, I think it's really important that that these companies are, are better understood. Um, and I think the best, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the best way to kind of, uh, if you want to criticize, if you're if you're on the left, progressive, as you said, I think like being armed with the facts and a real understanding instead of kind of like a mythological understanding of what's of what's scary about these companies um, is really helpful, really important to having to having a real debate and probably to having real change. I've also been reading. Um, uh, I read pretty recently uh, Margaret O'Mara's History of Silicon Valley. Yeah, um, Margaret's been on the show too. Yeah, I'm giving you all the greatest hits. Uh, the Code, which I think is a really smart book. That yeah. um, what's great about it is it doesn't 
it, you know, it, it, it definitely will complicate your history of Silicon Valley, but it's not, it has an awareness of the mythologies and it, it's, it's a really balanced, a really smart book that. Right. And I, I think Amira and Brad Stone and Shira Frankel, what they're all doing is demythologizing the enormous wealth and the, uh, the mythology, uh, the, the demythologizing uh, the multi-billionaire entrepreneurs like Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. And that's exactly what uh, Max Chafkin has done in The Contrarian, is demythologize Peter Thiel, turned him into a real person with real, uh, real ideology. I think it's an excellent piece of work and an essential work if we're to understand not just Thiel, but Thielism. Congratulations, Max, on the book. Keep well, keep safe, and I'd love to have you back on the show. Maybe we'll have a show with you and Brad Stone and Shira Frankel, and you can all share your, your wisdom of Silicon Valley. Thank you so much. Would love that. Thank you so much, Andrew. Really appreciate the questions, and, and it was fun being here.